Good morning. We continue our series today on the miracles of Jesus. Uh, I'm grateful for you being here today, those watching online as well. Thank you for tuning in. I want to ask you a question just for your reflection. You don't have to answer out loud, certainly, but if you were Jesus, how would you go about convincing people that you are the Son of God? Well, Jesus used miracles to prove who He was and that what He said was true. Let me remind you that miracles by definition are not ordinary events. These are unique, extraordinary events that have a supernatural cause. That's a miracle. It's it's an extraordinary event that has a supernatural cause. Miracles are those things that can only be described by the phrase, God did it. It's something that is not humanly possible. It is something only God can do. Now, when you add up all the miracles of Jesus that are recorded in the Gospels, there are 37 miracles recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, it's likely that Jesus performed more than 37 miracles, uh, but at least 37 times we know that He did something that only God could do. At least 37 times He performed a miracle. Now, the question would be, why? Why did he do that? Well, we get a clue from the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verse 11. Would you open God's Word? The Gospel of John, chapter 2. John, chapter 2, as you perhaps know, records the very first miracle that Jesus performed. And the first miracle that he performed was the miracle of turning water into wine. And at the end of that story, when we come to the very end of that story of turning water into wine... We read this in verse 11. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee, and he thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you do it again. Here today, in the midst of these people, you will reveal your glory, and that somebody might put their faith in you. Thank you for your word that points us to a living Savior who wants to live in us. I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable to you, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. John chapter 2, verse 11, I want you to hear it one more time. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee, And he thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. This one verse shows us three important reasons that Jesus performed miracles and what that means for our lives. The first reason he performed miracles was that miracles of Jesus reveal who he is. One of the reasons he performed miracles, those 37 times in the Gospels, because miracles reveal who he is. It's interesting that John called the miracle of turning water to wine not just a miracle, but he calls it, look at verse 11, he calls it a miraculous sign. Not just a miracle, but miraculous signs. Now, now you would understand if you study through the Gospel of John that seven times John uses that terminology, a miraculous sign. That is, John, as he wrote his Gospel, chose seven of the 37 miracles and focused on those seven To say these were not just miracles, these were signs that Jesus performed. 
The seven miracles that John focuses on are turning water to wine, healing the nobleman's son, healing an invalid at the pool of Bethesda, feeding the 5,000, walking on the water in the midst of the storm, healing a blind man, and raising Lazarus from the dead. Now, as we read every one of those stories, we would no doubt call them a miracle. But John says, no, it was much more than just a miracle. It was a miraculous sign. And that term is used to emphasize the significance of the miracle rather than the miracle itself. You see, a sign is valuable not for what it is, but rather for what it points to. When you enter our campus, we've got some signs down there. You probably have gotten used to seeing them. But we've got some signs down there. And the signs are nice and they're attractive, but the signs themselves are not very significant. The signs point to that which is significant. And the miracles of Jesus served as a sign like that. Yes, they were significant. Yes, they were amazing. But they were intended to point to something beyond the miracle. They were intended to point to something about Jesus. To reveal something about his, his identity and to authenticate his message. And so there's an interesting conversation in John uh, chapter 10. Go over a few chapters John chapter 10, let me show you this conversation Jesus had one day about miracles. John chapter 10, verse 24. Jesus is in a discussion with a group of Jews, and here's what we read in John 10, 24 and 25. The Jews gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles that I do in my Father's name speak for me. Jesus said to this group of Jews, listen, if you don't know who I am, it's because you're not paying attention. Because the miracles that I perform, they speak for me. So if you don't know who I am, you're simply not paying attention. Now, let me pause for a moment and ask you a question. Anybody here today have problems finding gas this week? Raise your hand if you had any problems finding gas. All right, several of you did. Uh, I went out uh, trying to find gas. I, I, got, I had to go to three stations, but I finally found some gas. But let me, let me ask you another question. What is this? Just a paper bag, right? Pl not paper bag, plastic bag. Just a plastic bag. But if this is hanging on the nozzle of a gas pump, what does that indicate? Yeah, we're out of gas. Now, what I'm about to tell you is absolutely true. I'm not making this up. I was out looking for gas, and I, I saw this guy who pulled into the gas station. These were hanging on the, on the pump, on the nozzles. He picked it up, pushed the nozzle through the bag, <laughs> and put it in his car. And he tried as best he could to get gas in his car. Finally, in frustration, he went into the, into the store to try to find out why he couldn't get gas in his car. I don't know what he thought these were unless it was COVID protection or something. And so once he got inside, I'm sure that they revealed to him what this is. When I saw that happen, I thought, there's a guy that's not paying attention. I mean, these things are on every pump. There's a guy that's not paying attention. Jesus said to the people of his day, listen, if you don't know who I am, you're just not paying attention. Because the miracles that I do, they speak of me. 
The miracles that I do, they reveal who I am. And you must not be paying attention. So, here's what I want to do today. I want you to understand that when we come to John chapter 2, when we look at this miracle in just a moment that we'll be kind of uh, diagramming for you, I want you to understand in this miracle, as well as in every miracle that Jesus performed, there was a greater purpose behind the miracle than the miracle itself. That's an important statement. Every miracle that Jesus performed, there was a greater purpose behind the miracle than the miracle itself. That's why John calls them miraculous signs. Because there's a purpose behind the miracle. And the miracle itself was, was normally used to confirm who Jesus is and that what he said about himself was true. He was doing extraordinary things that only God could do. And so the miracle revealed who he was. Now the second thing that we learn in John chapter 2, verse 11, going back to that text, is that the miracles of Jesus demonstrate his power over desperate situations. John chapter 2, verse 11, look at the story again. This is the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee, and he thus revealed his glory. If you know the story of the wedding of Cana, you know, if we were to take the time to read John chapter 2, that the wedding host ran out of wine. And in that day, to run out of wine in the middle of a wedding celebration was not only an embarrassing situation, it was an awful way to start a marriage. And I'm sure that those who were in charge, the family in charge of the wedding celebration, did everything that they could to come up with more wine, to provide for the needs of the people that were there. And it was a moment of desperation. They ran out of options. And maybe some of you know what that feels like. Maybe you're in a moment of desperation and you've run out of options. Jesus' mother comes to him in John chapter 2 on behalf of the family to say to Jesus, they have no more wine. They were out of wine and they were out of options and they literally needed a miracle. Third day has a song called, I Need a Miracle. And there's a chorus in the song that says, well, no matter who you are and no matter what you've done, there will come a time when you can't make it on your own. And in your hour of desperation, know that you're not the only one. That song is so true and so relevant because at some point in our lives, listen to me, at some point in our lives, our resources run out. At some point in our lives, we face something for which we are out of options. We get into a desperate situation where our money or our power or our influence is just not enough. And we're in a desperate situation and we literally need a miracle. Because money can't buy it, power can't fix it, influence can't solve it. We're in need in a situation, some of you perhaps right today, you say, Pastor, I need a miracle because I'm in a situation and there is no human solution to the difficulty I'm facing right now. There is no human solution to what I'm dealing with, to what I'm struggling with. I need a miracle. George Mueller was a preacher of another generation, and he said this. He said, faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There's no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins when man's power ends. That's a great statement. Faith begins when man's power ends. 37 times in the four Gospels, Jesus demonstrated His complete power over desperate situations. 
Now, we don't have time to look at all 37 miracles, but can I kind of put them in a category for you? Jesus demonstrated his power in some miracles as he performed miracles over nature. He demonstrated his power over nature. For example, calming the storm by just speaking to it. He demonstrated his power over nature. Feeding the 5,000 or walking on the water. He demonstrated his power over nature. Jesus also in the miracles demonstrated his power over illness and disease and death. There are lots of miracles where Jesus was healing people. He healed lepers. He healed a man born blind. He healed a man paralyzed. He healed a man who was deaf and mute. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. Jesus demonstrated in desperate situations his absolute power over illness and disease and death. But more important than that, Jesus demonstrated his power over the spiritual world through his miracles. There are Several miracles where he cast out demons. There was a miracle where a young boy was so overcome with an evil spirit that it would throw him into the fire. And Jesus spoke and cast out that demon. There were those times when Jesus looked in the face of broken people with broken lives and said, your sins are forgiven. Jesus demonstrated his power over the spiritual world as well. Every miracle was an astounding demonstration of his power. And it left people looking at it and saying... God did it. That's not something a human could have done. God did it. Every miracle, John said, was a sign. A sign that demonstrated His power to intervene and change our lives. Let me illustrate that for you. God's power to intervene and change our lives. Let me show you why John calls these miracles miraculous signs. In John chapter 2, turning the water to wine, that first miracle. You may, have not, may not have thought of this, but that first miracle was a transformation miracle. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, the Bible says that he turned water, ordinary water, into wine. He transformed it. He took something like this, and he transformed it into something that it had never been. He transformed it. He changed it from water into something different, into wine. It was water, and then he transformed it into wine. And it was very clear at the wedding that Jesus was the one who did the transformation. You see, the first miracle, John would say, was a a sign indicating what Jesus could do in our lives as well. Jesus not only transforms water into wine, but he also can transform sinners into saints. That very first miracle was was a miracle to indicate he has transformation power. He can take something like this and make it something else. He has transformation power. And that's exactly what we find in the New Testament. The story of Jesus and his transformation power. Put your finger in John 2. We'll come back to that. But go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I think we've read this verse recently, but it's a good verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Now let me read you that same verse in the Living Bible. Listen to what it says. When someone becomes a Christian, 
he becomes a brand new person inside. He is not the same anymore. Look up here at the water for a moment. Just like the water is turned into wine and it's not the same anymore, it's totally different from what it used to be. In the same way, the Bible says, when someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He's not the same anymore. A new life has begun. You see, Christians are brand new people on the inside. They're transformed by Jesus Christ. When you give your life to Christ, you're not just reborn or rehabilitated. You're not just reformed. You're not just re-educated. You become a new person. What Jesus did at the wedding at Cana of Galilee, how He transformed the water into something else, He can do in your life too. You become a brand new person. In fact, let me show you the degree to which He can transform us. Go over one book to the left and find 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Look at verses 9 through 11. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And then he describes, gives us a list of the wicked. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, past tense. Look up here for a moment. That's what some of you were before you were transformed that's what some of you were and look what happens but you were washed you were sanctified you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God see salvation is a miracle and you're transformed into something you've never been before a child of God just like the water was transformed into something it had never been before. It was transformed into wine. You can be transformed into something you've never been before. A child of God. You can actually be a brand new person. And Jesus is the one who brings about the transformation. In fact, I thought this week it wouldn't be bad for us every time we baptize somebody to baptize them in a t-shirt that said, Transformed by Jesus. That that's really what salvation is all about. Salvation is not about me trying harder and trying to live differently. Salvation is about tra being transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you put your faith in Jesus, you're not merely turning over a new leaf. You're beginning a new life. Which brings us to the third point in John chapter 2, verse 11, about the miracles of Jesus. And the third point is this, the miracles of Jesus invite a response from us. I love the way John describes what happened after that first miracle. In John 2.11, let's read it again. This is the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. And watch what happens. He thus revealed his glory and, watch this, his disciples put their faith in him. His disciples put their faith in him. They didn't just watch a miracle. They responded to it. They put their faith in him. And Jesus performed miracles so that people would believe he really is the Son of God that they really would believe He has the power to change their lives. That's the reason behind the miracle. That's the reason it's a sign. And when the disciples saw Jesus take ordinary water and make it into something different, they put their faith in Him. 
they realized that what he did with the water and the wine, he could do in their lives. He could transform them. And so John takes this idea that we see in John 2.11 and he weaves it through the entire gospel. And he talks about seven different miracles, seven different signs that invite a response from us. And when you get to the end of the gospel of John, then he summarizes it this way. If you want to go to John chapter 20, here's what he says. John chapter 20, verse 30. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. In other words, John was saying, he did a lot of miracles, and let's just use that number 37. He did 37 different miracles, but I've only focused on seven of them. He did a lot of other things, but I focused on these seven. Then he tells us why. But these are written, verse 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have, what's that next word? You may have what? Life in His name. There are two words in the Greek language, two primary words in the Greek language were the word life. It's an interesting word. The, life, the word that John uses here, that you may have life in his name, is the Greek word zoe. And it literally means eternal life or the life of God, a divine life, the life of God. That's zoe. These things, he says, have been written so that you might believe and have zoe, have the eternal life of God. There's another word for life in the Greek language, and that is the word suke. Suke means natural life or human life. That's what this box represents. Suke. This empty box represents your suke. We all have one. The very fact that you're breathing right now means that you have a suke. You have a natural life. Now our boxes all look different. There are different sizes and shapes and ages. But we all have a suke. When we're born into the world, we all have a natural life, a suke. But here's the problem. That natural life, that suke, that natural life that we all have is aging. And it's decaying. And eventually, it will end. And we all know that. That life that we have, the suke, is, is just one day going to come to an end. But there's an even greater problem. Without Christ in our life, that suke, that natural life, is, that's all there is. It's just the natural life, and it's empty. And we try everything we can to fill that emptiness, don't we? I, I, over the years, I've seen people try to fill that emptiness with, with relationships, I've seen people try to fill that emptiness with cars or houses. I've seen people try to fill that emptiness with children. I've seen people try to fill that emptiness with hobbies or with sports. And they do everything they can to pack as much as they can into their suitcase, into their natural life. But eventually, it always turns up empty. John says, I've written about these seven miraculous signs of Jesus. So that you might believe, and that by believing, you might have zoe, true life, a God-given life. In other words, the day that you trust Christ as your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ comes to live in you. And your natural life, your suke, is filled with the life of God. The Lord Jesus literally comes to live inside you.
And all of a sudden, your life is transformed. You're made into something you've never been before. You're made into a child of God. You've never experienced that before. But when Jesus comes into your life, it is a miracle. And He makes you into a different person. That's the miracle of salvation. He fills your natural life with His divine, God-given life through Jesus. Now, John says, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. Would you just focus for just a moment on that word, believing? John says you you don't fill your natural life by trying to get your act together. You can't fill your natural life by going to church. You can't fill up that natural life by getting baptized. You'll just get wet, but it's not going to fill that emptiness. The way that you experience that divine life, that God life, It's by asking Jesus to come into your life. By believing that He died on the cross. John says that's the reason that He's performed these miracles. So that you will believe that He's more than just a mere man. So that you will believe that He is truly the Son of God. Who gave His life on a cross. Who died as a sacrifice for your sins. And if by believing, if by accepting that, you will ask Him into your life. John says, then you'll have eternal life. And eternal life is not just a life that lasts forever. We're all going to have a life that lasts forever somewhere. Some of us will have a life that lasts forever in hell. And some of us will have a life that lasts forever in heaven. But the difference is not how good you are or how good I am. The difference is whether or not we have allowed the Lord Jesus to transform us into something we've never been before. Have you put your faith in Christ? John comes to the end of his gospel and he tells us seven different miracles and he says, now the choice is yours. Now it's your chance to decide. Now you have to make a decision. Will you invite Jesus into your empty life? I want you to pray with me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Even those watching online, would you bow your heads and pray with me? For those that are here in the building, in just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a song. It's an old song that you probably have heard at Billy Graham Crusades. It's called Just As I Am. And that's really the way you come to God. You don't come to God and say, okay, God, if you'll just give me time to stop some things or to start some things, if you'll just give me some time to get my act together, then then I'm going to do what that preacher's talking about. That's not the way you come to Christ. Come to Christ and say, I'm desperate for a miracle. I'm desperate for you to do something in my life that only you could do. Because I've tried to fill my life with a lot of things. And I'm still empty. I'm desperate for you to do a miracle. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe He died on the cross for my sin. 
And by faith, I'm asking Him to come into my empty, broken life. That's the decision John says you've got to make. And every miracle of the Bible was God's invitation. Will you make the decision to put your faith in Christ? In who He is and in what He's done for you. So in just a moment, we're going to stand and sing the song, Just As I Am. I'm going to be down front. And we're going to invite you to come right now, as soon as we stand, and put your faith in Christ. I'll be glad to pray with you. Or you can go pray by yourself. Coming just as you are to the Lord Jesus. And those watching online at home, you can do that right where you are. Just get on your knees if you're able to and invite Jesus into your life and into your heart. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for demonstrating for us that Jesus has the ability to transform us. Just like he turned water into wine, he can turn sinners into saints. Will you work in somebody's life in a way that we look back at it and say, God did it. God changed them. God saved them. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?